in three, two, one, and we're live. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is this not why you were here? How about new, you crazy Dutch bastard? <laughs> What we've got here is failure to communicate. 60% of your time intro. <laughs> Every time. That doesn't make sense. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. That's cute. I remember when I had my first beer. Why so serious? I am serious, and don't call me sure. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the DTD Podcast. Every week, we make you do that deed. This week, we have a special Halloween episode. There's a new horror movie that's out, and we've got the director live and direct for you from L.A. He took time out of his day to come on and talk to us, let us know about his film so we can go check it out. It's followed, and we have Antoine Lay in the studio. So, everybody, let's welcome him. What's going on, Antoine? Hey, how's it going? Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. Let's talk about this film. So there's a little bit of a story behind it. Uh, you made this film about four years ago, correct? And yes. Um, yes. It, it's been taken at some film festivals. You've shown it out there. But this year you decided you got a distributor. You decided to kind of put it out to the mm -hmm. world. So kind of let's talk about how we came to this. Because um, it, it seems like a long time for a movie. I'm glad that it took mm -hmm. this long because it turned out very well. But but let's talk about from, you know, the birth of this idea until it's come out now. Absolutely. So, um, so back in 2016, I, uh, you know, we started a new production company and, uh, you know, we needed to get a movie out and, um, you know, we're just toying with the idea of, of, of you know, just creating a horror movie. And, um, you know, given that I live in LA, so I heard about this Lisa Lamb and the Hotel Cecil case, which always intrigued me. And, um, you know, it just so happens that my producer also knows, uh, a screenwriter, Todd Click, who was also immensely, you know, interested in the same subject as well. So we got together, you know, over beers, and every week we actually start meeting and just conceptualizing the the the, the concept of the movie. And at first, I was just only going to produce it, not necessarily direct it, since I'm not a quote unquote or director, so to speak. Um, so you know, I was going to do that. However, you know, because it is a uh, ultra low budget feature, so we really couldn't afford. A name director, so to speak, so you know that I would trust. So yeah, and and, and besides, I wanted to, to make my uh, debut anyway. Although it, it would have been a different film had I, uh, you know, had, had that my choice. But uh, you know, so I took on the project, and um, the rest is history. I just really loved it. I did the more we did it, and uh, we actually finished wrapping in September, no, October 2016. So we shot for ten days. Um, and after that, you know, we ran out of money, so we needed to create a cut, a, a, a rough draft of it, you know, uh, to show to our investors and friends and family to raise additional money for posts. So that's what we did. So, uh, you know, the investors and, and, and uh, uh, the backers, they liked what they saw, so they gave us additional money so, so that we can actually finish posts. So by 2017, by the end of 2017, it was ready. So 2018 is when, uh, 2018 is when we debuted at, at, at several film festivals, which we won several awards, which was great. So um, and, and at that time, you know, we started getting offers from different distributors. The majority of them would actually give us anywhere from five to 50 theaters, um, you know, with about like one or two weeks limited uh, run. And then, you know, we go directly to digital, which was fine. However, you know, as a filmmaker, I wanted to see, you know, what's the, the widest release I can get theatrically speaking. I know it was really tough, uh, but because the movie has, you know, an ultra low budget uh, 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 schedule with it. So therefore, I guess we could afford to take the risk. 
So that's what we did. So we turned down offers, you know, which was kind of crazy, <laughs> you know, being an indie film, but we turned down offers unless they included a lucrative uh, um, theatrical release. And finally, I guess, you know, our patience paid off. So we got global distributor. They came in, they loved it, and they wanted to initially release it anywhere from 100 to 300 theaters initially with span, uh, you know, would plan to expand. Um, so, you know, we looked at 2019. So again, like the whole deal was done by, I guess, uh, beginning of 2019. So we wanted to release in 2019. But, you know, the market place wasn't right for it. Um, so our distributor, you know, held on, uh, just held out for a better date. And finally, we determined the best date would be April 2020. Now, of course, we got everything ready and, you know, we really so excited that we were going to be out in roughly you know, 300 theaters. Then COVID happened. So when COVID happened, you know, boom, we had to go back to the drawing board. And uh, luckily, you know, the movie The Wretched did extremely well on drive-ins. So we took that. We're like, hey, maybe now's the time to just release it and drive it, uh, uh, you know. It is the right market for it. So that's what our distributor decided to do. So we went out to uh, drive-ins back in June, June 19. And miraculously, we were actually number one in the U.S. box office for two weeks in a row. Now, again, is it under normal circumstances, that probably wouldn't have happened, <laughs> you know, but because it's COVID uh, and, uh, yeah, the world's just topsy-turvy now. And, uh, you know, luckily, we actually climbed up the, up, uh, the top charts and stayed there for two weeks. And uh, because of that, you know, we got a tremendous amount of interest from everywhere, and I guess the rest is history. And it took four years, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, it, um, uh, you know. and 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 you're right that this might not have happened under COVID conditions. I don't know if I would say that completely because of how good the movie is. So, um, yeah, I, I would say. You know, when when you say that this might not have happened if COVID wouldn't have happened, I don't know if that's necessarily true because you put out a quality product. But I think that it gave um, having that smaller, uh, I guess you'd say, market out there because no one was releasing movies. Uh, and it right. was, you know, all these studios pushed everything back into 2021, 2022 all that kind of stuff, it kind of gave you that platform that you needed, but you had already won a lot of awards. Uh, just a couple of them were, you won a Best Horror Feature, Best Actor, Best Actress, you were a Festival Winner, Best Screenplay, Best Cinematography. Now, I want to talk about that award for just a minute. Best Cinematography, because everyone, I think, would call this a found footage film. Would you agree? It's a horror film, but yes. but it's it's very based on a on a found footage. Correct. But you Correct. Correct. did something different with this. You didn't just strap GoPros on people and cameras and have them run around and do whatever they were going to do. You actually had a cinematographer, a director of photography, all that kind of stuff on this set. Why did you decide to go with a found footage, but then do a 180 and have both a cinematographer and a director of photography? Mm -hmm. Um, so, so um, the reasons being is because, uh, you know, I like found footage and everything else, but one of the things that I, I guess I did not, you know, like too much about found footage is that it's, it's, it's very raw, it's very real, and it's not cinematic, right? And uh, I think there are a couple of films that are found footage that I guess they, they went the cinematic route and it worked extremely well. And one of those films is Chronicle which I really thought it was a near masterpiece. It is a found footage film, but it's done so well. And, you know, it's all yeah, and, and, and a, in a traditional movie sense is that you got to have different angles. You got to get close up and all, that, and all of that. Right? And Chronicle cheated by having these characters have superpowers. And because they have superpowers, they can control the cameras, right? So the camera flying around, so you get different multiple angles, you know, the overhead shot, which I absolutely loved. So, so you know, when we came on board with the follow project, is that number one, is that we wanted to, you know, I wanted to, 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 to make it as cinematic as possible. Right? And, but because of the fact that we didn't have quite the sort of budget you know, to really do a proper traditional film. So we wanted to resort back to found footage. And again, the subject matter is a vlogger. You know, it's about a vlogger. And you've seen a lot of YouTube vloggers 
especially the you know the, the big prominent ones is that their videos are always extremely well edited it's professionally shot with drones and everything else music so it makes it look very much like an mtv style music video you know most of the time right. so i'm like okay well since we're gonna do about a vlogger and you know given our limited con uh, uh, budget constraints but we are going to talk, I mean, we are going to do about bloggers, so why not cheat by actually having these guys being professional, by being professional bloggers? Because of that, they would have an editor on board, they would have music, they are able to actually, uh, you know, they have cinematographers, so they can actually shoot it well. So that is a way for me to approach it, which is like, hey, let's treat this as if we were making a traditional movie, by having multiple angles, by having professional, by having it being professionally cut so it would just move better and to me i think i like that feel more than the you know raw and real the way that blair witch was and i think blair witch and paranormal activity those movies are pretty much perfect for the style and they know that there's you know at least at that time there wasn't a way for me to innovate more to basically make it something that's different from you know these two masters have done so i wanted to you know do a little bit different by incorporating the cinematic uh, style into the film footage genre, just to see in terms of how it works. And again, with this, the background being being that being of a uh, vlog footage, so I guess we were able to cheat that way, and that's why we decided to do it. Uh, we go that route instead. Well, and and I think that you you almost take it to another level in the movie because you you specifically point out, hey, we have an editor here. I mean, like you you bring those into being true characters in the movie. Hey, we have an editor, we have a cameraman, we have a second cameraman, we have a drone. Right. And and I get what you're saying though, where their videos now are becoming so professionally done and shot that it doesn't look like a vlogger did, you know, when vlogging started, it's not very right. raw and real anymore. It's very, uh, set up. It's very stylized. It, it has a lot of different things that that old didn't have. I think that that is good for not only the vlogging people and people that want to kind of shoot some videos that maybe don't have the background on it or don't have the equipment for it, but I think it's also good for movies because it shows you guys uh, or or the, just the general public that you can make a film uh, on a very small budget and still have a great effect on the movie industry. Like you said, you, I mean, I wouldn't say that you were on a tiny budget because I've heard of way, way smaller budgets. Um, yes, yes. But but compared to a studio release or something like that, and you and you made it to number one. And so I, I, I almost wonder if that's the area and I've asked a couple other people that we've had on the, on the show, is that almost the area we're moving into now where the studios are kind of dying out and it's this independent kind of Renaissance that's taking over the movie industry. Do you feel that way too? Um, yes. And, and, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that, you know, um, the theatrical market nowadays is just really focusing on this, the, the summer tentpole, you know, like the Marvel superhero movies and all that. Right. And even I think uh, Scorsese even had an article written about it as well, how he was bashing, you know, uh, Marvel movies, which is more right. like theme parks. Um, you know, in a sense is that a traditional, you know, a, dr a drama usually, uh, Nowadays, even if you have a drama with like, you know, star studded uh, uh, stars, they still would just end up on Netflix. It just, that's just the way it is now, right? Because in the theatrical space is now just reserved for big budget action studio flicks, which is kind of sad because again, you know, there's, as is, I really miss the, the, the old days where movies like say the motherless Brooklyn, you know, would have been a number one on box office. But nowadays, those are just considered, you know, they would be lucky to be in the top five, right? Which is... Um, and I think they would even consider that, those independent made. films. Exactly. I mean, yeah. it is an independent film, but back in the days, it's just not, you know, it's just movies like LA Confidential, you know, yeah. which oh, I absolutely love. But those movie. movies were just... Right. And those movies, they were just coming out like pretty much weekly. But nowadays, it's like, hey, if I see that trailer, I would just immediately say, oh, okay, well, it's going to be out on Netflix. Right. I mean, who would have thought? Irishman. <laughs> it's, it's a Netflix feature, right? So um, I think the market is changing. And because of that, it allows, I guess, independent filmmakers, you know, it carves out that space, especially now with COVID and digital streaming. It's become the norm now. 
So it gives independent uh, filmmakers like ourselves, you know, a platform so that we can actually, you know, do pretty good work with it and, and know that we, that there will be, you know, a, um, a tremendous amount of options for us to choose from. Yes, theatrical is still going to be tough to come by, but, you know, nowadays people watch movies on their digital streamers rather than theatrical. So I think that actually opens doors for indie filmmakers like us, you know, because I know a lot of friends who just, just went out and actually made their own film and just put it online. You know, that's, and they were, uh, they do, you know, they get the audience for it. So, oh, one recent example, Jim Cummings, um, you know, if you heard of his name, he actually made a pretty good uh, drama um, about a couple of years ago called Thunder Road. And I think he self-released it as well. It, it became like a, a case study for Sundance. Sundance Channel bought it. Um, you know, and he was the, I think his film won Best Picture at South by Southwest, which was really prestigious. So he thought, you know, that his film was going to go places, get the deals or whatnot. But it turns out, like, it is a drama and because it stars no name. So guess what? It didn't really get sold. So it didn't really make it big. So he decided to self-release it in I think a few theaters anyway, and actually it became a big hit, relatively speaking, right? So he has a new movie out called, I think, Wolf of uh, Something Hollow Snow or whatnot. It literally just came out about a week and a half ago. Yeah, yeah it's so, about it, the, uh, the werewolf that the cop is hunting down. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So so that movie is by the same guy as well. And, and you know, and I've been reading a lot of articles about him, and, and he actually did, you know, the movie actually profited, both of the movies that he, he did, profited uh, uh, quite reasonably for him, right? And I think that is the model of being able to just create something that is quality and just post it up online and then being able to actually really reap the benefits off of it. So uh, I do think that going forward, we're going to see a lot of those um, in the market. Um, and you know, so far we already have, you know, and um, so it is interesting. But on the same token, I think some by some point in time, people will get tired of the superhero movie genre, and then you know we'll get back to the good old days of having all sorts of movie out of theater. So we, so you know, we don't know. But in the meantime, we enjoy it. We'll enjoy the 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 uh, market being open up for indie filmmakers like ourselves. Well, and the movie that you're talking about kind of took the same approach that you did because how I first saw your trailer was there was a lot of Facebook marketing on it um, where it was showing. And so I saw someone that I knew uh, had remarked about it on there. So I said, hey, do you, do you know this guy? And they were like, yeah. So they're who kind of set up the intro for us. Wow. And they had made, they had made a smaller film too, but they kind of set it all up. I, I, you know, I just said, Hey, there's this film out. It, it's uh, I haven't really heard about it. Do you know these guys? And they were like, yeah, absolutely. We know them. Hold on. Let, we'll get a hold of them and, <laughs> and stuff. And they just made a movie uh, called the, the honeymoon phase, uh, uh, which was Philip Carroll and Chloe Carroll. And so I yes, got a hold yes. of them and then they got a hold of some of the people over there. So, they did the same thing where um, th they had, uh, uh, excuse me, you had the same thing as the, the movie that you're talking about, about the werewolf. He did a lot of Facebook marketing and stuff like that. And I mm -hmm. think it's getting out to a whole new group of people that would have maybe never looked into independent films or, you know, when they're just scrolling through and they see it come up on their feed. And that mm -hmm. movie that you're talking about is getting a lot of buzz right now, too, because it's got some Absolutely. pretty big names in it. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's just the way that I think the whole uh, market space is, right? Which I think it's good for all filmmakers. Um, so we'll see how long this lasts. But I think it's definitely going to be, or I hope that it's, good. it's definitely going to be for a long time. Yeah, I, I'm really big on this where uh, they release at home. They do that. I guess they call it in theater at home or whatever. I'm really big on that because I think some of the movies that you might not have that are real gems that you might not have spent 30, 45, $50 to go see in the theater. You'll watch at home mm -hmm. for $20 and they turn out to be a favorite of yours or Absolutely. they turn out to be really influential in the movie industry and things like that. So I really am enjoying this where they release at home as the same as theaters. Now I know it's probably not going to make as much money. Would you agree as if it was just in theaters? Mm -hmm. Well, it all depends on, you know, on the angles though, because if you look into um, say theatrical releases, is that, you know, one of the things that uh, is like an, un, well, I shouldn't even call it an unspoken rule, but in the, but, you know, when it comes down to movies, 
it's well known that once it's out in theaters, the it is the studios that benefit from the growth, not the filmmakers. It's because of the fact that when it's out in theaters, is you know it's already got tens of millions you know behind it, right? So, case okay, so just take a look at say Paranormal Activity, right? Paranormal Activity okay. is uh, yeah, it's twelve thousand dollars. That is the truth. Like it was made for twelve thousand dollars, but the version that you've seen in theaters. That version didn't cost twelve thousand dollars. That version cost seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? It's because of you know after it's done, then you know the studio bought it, and then they would actually need to remaster it. They would actually need to put like ten to twenty million behind it for marketing. And when it comes out in theaters, that the, the theaters would actually take about fifty percent or sixty percent cut, right? So if you're looking at that, and you basically uh, you know. Uh, deducted from the marketing expenses and everything else. Next thing you know, the filmmakers probably wouldn't be able to benefit from it. So you know, uh, um, you know, take a look at I guess uh, Blair Witch Project, right? Which was one of the biggest hits, one of the most profitable movies ever in history. Then the movie ended up grossing over two hundred million. But from what I from what I know is that the filmmaker, the original creators, all they got was two million dollars out of it. That's it. Right, so you would think like, hey, the movie wow. that was made for forty-seven thousand dollars made over two hundred million in theatrical. The filmmakers, probably, you know, who actually own a certain percentage, will probably profit a lot. But no, two million—that's that's it. That's you know, I was really flabbergasted when I heard about that. Right, so, and now that I'm in the space. I could see why too, because every time that it goes out there, it's not just hey, you know, you don't get the first dollar. It's the studios and then the right. marketing people. And you know, they have to pay all of that. So by the time that you really make money off of it, it's years down the line when it comes up in digital, right? So okay. then if you go directly to digital, then you know, depending on the marketing spend, you actually would have more control over it. And that is something that Jim Cummings, you know, the guy that I just mentioned, uh, right. um, with, with the Werewolf Wolf movie, that's what he figured out. Because I, you know, so by releasing his model, I think I read from one of the interviews that within a matter of less than a year, he already made a million dollars. I'm not talking about just the movie generating a million dollars, but I'm talking about him, they get the movie generating a million dollars in revenues for him, right? right? So that's profit. So that's something that, again, even if your movie got on theaters and it make 20 or 30, 40 million, you may not make the same. Right. right. So, so, so that's why now, like you know, if you go on on Amazon, there's another found footage series that I recently discovered that was actually pretty. You know, it's actually really damn good. It's called the uh, the Blackwell Ghost, right? Which is oh, you've yeah, seen yeah. marketing for it. Yeah, you you probably seen a little bit more. Yeah, here yeah there. I think there's like but five it, of them. It, yeah, there's five of them, and there's more coming, right? And it's, it's just it's done by a husband and wife team, and I think it was it's it's pretty brilliant, right? And uh, it's low budget. But it's been released on Amazon, only Amazon that I've seen. And so far, I think they are making quite a bit of money for you know from it because of the fact that they do, they have they can cut out the middleman, you know, the studios, which is you know again, if you could work under the studio system, is there's just a whole bunch of costs that you could never account for. It's literally when you go out in theaters, you have a huge balance that you actually have to pay out before you get paid. So therefore, I think you know if anything is like releasing it digital. You know, for the for the indie filmmakers, it actually makes more financial sense because we get to make money literally right up front. You know, so part of our film is the funny thing is that uh, yes, although we went on theaters, we did well and everything else. But looking back, say if my film were to you know there was one other distributor that is pretty prominent as well that gave us an offer and basically we'd say hey you know they would they would tell us that uh, the first day that is out we get fifty percent of the profit. So that's a that's different from a traditional model. Traditional model is like, hey, when the first day you're out, we got to make back everything that we spent before you can see a dime off of it, right? But this distributor, what they got offered us, like, hey, from day one, 50-50, right, right wow. in the middle, right? So we could have taken that. Now, if we were to look back, say, had we taken that, we probably would have profited a lot earlier. But of course, we would lose out on, you know, the whole uh, on, on the idea of being able to be out of theaters and, you know, getting more eyes to see it and so on and so forth. Which again, I would rather take the second option, you know, being being widely uh, seen as a filmmaker. You know, something that that I set out to do. So I, 
I don't have any complaints, but uh, but I'm just talking about just from a financial standpoint, is that it actually makes more sense for the indie filmmakers to release it digitally, you know, uh, rather than going with a big distributor. At least that's what I've seen so far. I'm not saying that I encourage everybody to do it, but yeah. I do encourage that if you are an indie filmmaker and you do have a good good idea and you know the budget isn't that great that big, you know, and if you can make a pretty darn good movie out of it, I think that the space is available for you to actually release it, have you know some minor marketing for it, and still being able to actually do pretty well, provided if your movie is good and it actually is, you know, for, right for, for, for the folks. And and you know and that's what I say when I say that it's it's in the end hurting the studios because uh, I I really think with all these being released and these studios really kind of just standing on the high ground waiting for all this to clear I think it's hurting them in the end uh, just mm-hmm. because people aren't going to go to theaters uh, people are super nervous about going to theaters they're they, you know I'm out of Texas and they shut down every single Alamo Draft House. Because they just weren't making right. money. So they said, financially, we just can't do it. And they shut every single one of them down. Now, are they going to open them up at a later date? I don't know. But they definitely have shut them down for right now. So in speaking of all this and and how you shot it, let's talk about the film. Uh, it follows, like you said, a, a Lisa Lamb story. Uh, it's a different person in this film, but it, it's pretty much the same storyline. Now, you couldn't actually film at the Hotel Cecil, correct? Correct, correct. So we tried, but we didn't. Right. So you filmed at the Hayward Manor Hotel and the Hotel Normandy, both in L.A. Correct. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that they're pretty close in the same area, correct? Uh, the Hotel Cecil's yes. down kind of by Skid Row, and it's, I think it's called right. Stay on Main now, is is what yes. it's called now. They've, they've changed mm-hmm. the name. But it is a infamous hotel uh, for mm-hmm. suicides, for serial killers staying there, for being haunted, everything. And, and it's more right. of a novelty hotel now than, than anything. It's set up right. to where, uh, like 700 guest rooms, it's residential and hotel. What was so interesting about this to you? Because it's big with a lot of people, this hotel, but what, you know, never making a horror movie, never making a found footage movie. What stood out so much about this story that you said, that's it. That's the story that we want to do. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, the, the, um, originally how I, I came I mean, how I got a hold of the story was, um, I, I was watching the news, you know, when there was like late at night, I was watching the news, I think it was 2013. And, you know, they started showing the Elisa Lam footage and everything else, which I thought, I didn't think it was the news. I thought it was a mockumentary or a viral ad campaign for a new movie. Because the, the have you seen the movie called uh, Black Water, uh, Black Water, oh, sorry, Dark Water? is a Japanese horror film. Yeah, I've heard about it, I haven't remade. seen it though. Yeah, it, it's actually a fantastic movie. The original one, uh, Dark Water. It was a Japanese horror film, and then ten years later, it was remade with Jennifer Connelly as the lead. Okay, from the American side of it, which wasn't as good, but um, the the premise of the story is very similar, which is mother and daughter uh, move into this hotel, and all of a sudden, they see that the water is getting black. Right, and they're like things that you know the dark water and uh it turns out that you know there's a ghost in there and that girl died in the water tank that's just what happens right so the story is eerily similar to the actual elisa lamb story so when i heard the elisa lamb story i thought it was you know like i said i thought it was a a, a mockumentary or a viral marketing campaign for another remake However, I started dig deeper in, digging deeper into it. I'm like, oh my God, this is real. What other coincidences that this is actually real? And uh, you know, and then you know, and of course, after I heard that, I heard about that, you know, it gave me goosebumps. But I let, I just let it go. And then the year after that, the year after that, every year, the same story continued to come up. And here I am, you know, I'm living in LA, so I'm like, hey, this is, this is literally right around my neighborhood. So I got to do something about it. And it just, you know, it just, I was just haunted by it. I just haunted about the idea about Elisa Lamb, how, you know, she was just doing this in, in the elevator. And there's, the case is still unsolved as of today. Um, or at least it's solved. And, you know, the, the official record now is, is, is that she was, she just, you know, accident of death by drowning, which again, it's just, it's still 
really strange all the circumstances right so all of those are just really fascinating in in the sense that is this hotel has been around for almost a century now and yeah, yep and hundreds and hundreds of cases of people mysteriously dying and serial killers so there's something you know sinister about the hotel so to speak and i really you know i just really get intrigued by it and the writer was too and that's why i think we chose the subject uh, and i the the thing i like about it is you've taken a kind of haunted house movie uh put it into a hotel scenario but what i liked about it was it felt very uh it felt very real like you were really there so when you told me that you didn't film there uh i was i was kind of blown away and i was blown away that you filmed at two different hotels and blended everything to make it look so much the same so is there a reason why it was two different hotels and and what was that like approaching them saying hey look we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna make a movie and it's gonna make your hotel look really shitty but uh can we film it <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, okay, so, so it's really interesting in terms of how we originally, you know, quote unquote, shop for this uh, hotel. So originally, we wanted to actually film at the Cecil. So we actually, you know, we uh, uh, set up a meeting <clears throat> with the managers and everything else. And we were telling them that, hey, we were shooting a comedy. So they were very excited. You know, hotel season management. They're really excited. <laughs> yeah, they're real, really nice people, by the way. You know, uh, so we sat down and we started explaining the story, which is about blogging, and everybody's all happy. You know, it's like, oh, exciting. And then we started mentioning the horror elements, uh, you know, elements. And that's when they where they went. You could see the expression in their faces changes from big smiles to like, get the fuck out of my office. Yeah, <laughs> literally, right. <laughs> so basically, uh, uh, um. Um, so the hotel itself at that time, it was, uh, you know, horror, I'm sorry, American Horror Story season four or season three. You right. Know, it's it's about the same subject, right? Yeah. Yep. There you go. So because of that, the hotel was already infamous thanks to, you know, the show. So the hotel already got a whole bunch of unwanted attention. People who just showed up, you know, trying to take pictures of it because this is where Lady Gaga was. So therefore they're like, nope, sorry. We, we, you know big no-no you, you cannot film here especially when it comes out to being a whore but they were nice enough to recommend us you know other hotels in the neighboring uh, area so that's how we went to check out the uh, hayward as well as the um, uh, normandy so the hotels actually look completely different the hayward actually has more than 14 floors and it has really imposing you know exterior so that's what we ultimately use as a double for hotel cecil and Hotel Normandy only has four rooms, but I'm sorry, uh, uh, four floors. And that is where we're going to decide that, hey, we're going to use it as a interior, the room, as well as some of the hallway shot. So that is what we determined uh, from, from, from the get-go and how the blend too. And because in, in the real life Hotel Cecil is that, you know, you have a hotel as well as a residential area all built into one place. So that's how we were, you know, we look at and we say, okay, well, you know, let's just create this fictional Hotel Lennox in the same route, which is the top floors are the nicer floor for tourists, as we're gonna use the Normandy. And the bottom floors or the floors in the middle, those would actually be the more, you know, for the poorer area, so to speak. So that is where we're gonna use for the seedier part of the hotel, the actual hotel. So that is, you know, that we, we made the determination from the get-go after we picked up the hotel. Yes, the hard part is to, to blend the two, um together which you know it, t it took quite a bit as from the filming standpoint which you got to make sure that you know from the moment the characters enter the elevator we use the footage from the hayward the moment they get out we use the footage from you know uh, uh the normandy so it did take uh, uh quite some maneuvering but i guess we you know we were able to blend it and how i guess how we came up to with the feel of the hotel was um uh, prior to filming the cast and crew, we actually did stay one night at the actual Hotel Cecil. Oh, wow. Just so that we could have a feel of it, right? So uh, in the movie, you probably see that there are like weird noises happening. We didn't know like, you know, what it was coming from. All of that was inspired by the actual hotel because we went there and we're like, hmm, where's this noise coming from? Where's this, 
you know, this uh, uh, oppressive feelings or the atmosphere that we felt when we were in the hotel. So by being in there for at least, you know, half a night, we were able to, I guess, or I was able to, to, to try to get the feeling of what it was like in the actual hotel and try to replicate it with the two hotels that we ended up, that we ended up getting. Well, so and they're, re- they're really serious at, at the Cecil about people going around and filming and stuff, right? They have a lot of security roaming yeah. around there to make yeah. sure that no one's filming in the hallways and things like that. And you kind of brought that forward in the movie, too. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And that yeah. actually happened in real life, by the way. So the scene that you know, the security guard met with them in the right. movie, right. that was actually inspired by what happened to us. So, you know, but when we were, so it's, it's funny because when we went into hotels, uh, Cecil to check in, you know, uh, we didn't want to look like filmmakers <laughs> because we had met them before. So we actually came back with this guy. Right? So whatever you, you saw. You didn't wear like a fake mustache, you. did you? No, it was just more like a hoodie and, you know, like we make our hair different, okay. glasses and whatnot, because we had been there before, you know, so we just had, so, uh, and then we actually started roaming around with my little, uh, you know, camera phone just to take a look at the basement and all that. And all of a sudden I was stopped, you know, when we went down to the basement, we were stopped by an actual security guard there too. And the security guards is literally the same as like, you know, he's like, hey, guys, you can't film that. But wait, you guys having, are you guys, you know, doing a YouTube thing? Oh, oh I like it, <laughs> right? So the security guard was actually befriending us as well, you know, it, just like in the movie. So that scene right. that in the movie, it was really inspired by real life story. Right? Wow. So, uh, it was just funny that, 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 you know, they just told us, hey, you can't, you can't really film that because of what happened to Elisa Lamb and what happened recently. So no, you can take a look at it, but that's about it. So, you know, uh, that's what we did. Which to me is is a little crazy that they won't let film there because of that. Because it, it makes it almost, it makes that building almost more sinister by them saying, don't look around, don't poke around here. There's something. Right. So it makes it even more sinister to me. Now, when you did that, did you did you actually stay the whole night? Or no. Well, the, uh, the actors did. So okay. I think that I think a few of the primary cast they actually did, but me, my producer and the writer, uh, we only stayed there for half a night. So we did, just wanted to get a little bit. Did your actors say anything when they came out of there? Like, man, I'm not staying in here another night or anything. Did no. anything like that happen, or were they just like, yeah, it was a it was a hotel? Yeah, I mean, like they were. Yeah, they did did feel that that something was. You know, the atmosphere is always heavy in there. Right. But then again, they didn't. Live, you know, they didn't stay alone. <laughs> they actually stayed with 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 each other. Yeah, you know, right. just keep each other company and all that as well. So yeah, nothing weird happened or anything like that, other than the fact that you know there was the noises and it's just that uneasy feeling that this is where the shit happened, right? Um, uh, um, so, so, so that's it. Now with us is that we actually left the middle of the night just because you know we for lack of better words, rather, I, well, I didn't have the nerve to stay there for the entire night myself. So, okay. uh, so, you know, so, so we left half of the night and then we even saged ourselves. <laughs> I get it. Uh, so after, <laughs> as we left, we basically stopped on the side of the road. Our rider, Todd Kling, actually brought some incense. Um, and then we started saging ourselves. <laughs> you know? okay. So, hey, we were like, in the middle of the street, we were like, hey, evil spirits, please don't follow us, blah, 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 which was pretty funny. But yeah, nothing. Uh, nothing happened there. Now the interesting thing is, though, is that the two hotels that we ended up filming at, the Hayward and the Normandy, mm-hmm. they are both haunted hotels. They are oh. both considered haunted. And yes, there were stuff that actually happened on set. That's stuff that even we even captured on camera as well. That's how crazy. It is. So, is anybody going to be able to see that kind of stuff? Is that yeah any extras we- or? Yeah, most likely we're going to release that. So I think we're going to release one of the clips called uh, "The Baby," you know, noise, whatever. As a so in the film, there was this shot where I dropped the my character was sneaking the drone into the basement. So he's right. sneaking that part, right? So right. Uh, what you didn't see was that when he was sneaking, you know, the drone in, he was like, "It's okay, little baby." He called the drone "little baby," right? So he says, "It's okay, little baby." And we were, when we were editing it. The moment he says, it's okay, little baby, there was a baby crying as loud as you possibly can. I mean, really? you can probably hear it. It's, and is, you know, it made us scratch our heads because how? There is, there's no possible way that the camera would have picked up a baby crying. 
And it wasn't just some faint baby cries or anything like that. I'm talking as if the baby was right next to us on set and crying directly into the microphone. Wow. Now, the weird thing is that that scene, when we shot it, there were about 20 people on set. Okay, The sound guy was there and everybody else and I always had my headphones with me. So if I didn't catch it, someone on set would have caught it because it's a really loud baby noise. But no one caught it. No one heard it. And we would only catch it when we, you know, we were doing the editing. So, so you know, my producer and I, when we were editing it, it's funny because we were just doing that scene. And all of a sudden, I heard the baby noise. I'm like, dude, what happened? Did you just put it there? Because I thought my editor, which is, um, <clears throat> which is my producer, I thought he actually put in the baby noise. You know, as a gag. So right. I'm like, oh yeah, it's funny, Matt. <laughs> you know, but she's like, no, I didn't do that. So then we're like, what the hell? So we actually went into we even looked at the time code and everything else too. We're like, yes, that vo- that noise is real. Where did it come from? We have no idea. And up to this day, we still have no have no idea. Right? And there's other things that you know wow. ended up in the movie. So for wow. example, you know, the shot where they were all sleeping and Fred the head, you know, the mannequin. Fred uh, the head fell. Yeah. The, the, the head prop. Yeah. yeah, it fell. That was that was not planned. That was real as well. Like and uh, when they do when it was uh, when Mike was doing the elevator challenge, the light flickering that was also real. It was not planned. Right. So there are things that happen during a movie shoot. You know that was pretty strange. So uh, and even during the location scout process in the beginning, when I when I asked the security guard to let me in the basement so that we can uh, scout, he was like, "Okay, yeah, it's fine. Here's the key." He opened the gate. I mean, opened the door for us. And he didn't want to walk us through it. I'm like, hey, can you walk us through? He's like, no, I've worked here for seven years and there's some shit that I went down this basement. I am not walking you guys down here. You're on your own. Good luck. Right? So that was how haunted the actual Hayward was. So even when we filmed it, I actually had to make sure that we had extras all over, you know, all over the basement just to make sure that we keep the actors safe. Um, And the Hotel uh, Normandy, the uh, the the lobby area was reportedly haunted, where people would actually see uh, a woman playing the piano, men of the night that never checked in or anything like that. So all of those are all real. So both of the hotels we were at was all real, and of course there are other things that happen after we we wrap the movie as well. In other words, it's like you know there's uh, electronic things that actually happen in my backpack. All of a sudden they all get fried for no reason. I, I went to visit a friend who's a security guard and i actually had you know the footage of uh, uh, uh followed that's uncut in my backpack and it actually messed up with all of his building security cameras which again i have no idea why that happened right so there are weird things that happen and you know um after during and after we shot the movie which wow up until this point, we don't know whether it's real or just coincidence well, and and they've said before, you know, with with uh, some classic horror movies like uh, The Omen and things like that, that there were that those sets were cursed and all that kind of stuff. Now, I think it's very cool of the stuff that happened to you guys. Probably wasn't cool at the time that it happened, but it's very cool. And I think that when that comes out, when you release that stuff, I think that's going to make it even more. I think it'll it'll bump you up a little higher in in the, you know, because <laughs> no one ever saw that stuff off the Blair Witch or Paranormal right. Activity, so it might put you up a little higher in that that category. So let's the talk only thing about. Is that I I think they might think you know I'm I'm just saying is I I might think people might think that we probably doctored it. Just because it's like, what other chances? Uh, you know, because uh, all you have to do is just really insert the the, the baby noises to it. I, I think <laughs> people really want to believe that stuff happened. So I think that'll that'll turn out well for you. Good. Speaking of the Good. elevator game, let's talk about the elevator game. So one of the yeah. conspiracies or one of the theories about Lisa Lamb was that she was playing the elevator game whenever this happened. Uh, some yeah. other theories about her was that she was um, had a lot of drugs in her system. There were some that she was drunk, some that she was being chased by someone. But the one that has really stuck out is the elevator game. Now, your man dropped the mic in the movie. The main character plays the elevator game. Now, what I want to know first off was, did he actually play the real game the whole way through or not? And number two, have you tried it? 
<laughs> um, so the answer is no, he did not do it for real, um, you know, because we actually had to film it. So therefore there are people in the elevator and we had to shut the elevator down as well for filming. So no, we did not do that. And, and uh, second law, you know, second of all is that Matthew Solomon, our main lead, he's actually, you know, he's always scared of this stuff, this kind of stuff. So he would never try to do it on his own period. Right. <laughs> so he's, he's not upright. Like, uh, um, my personally is that I I didn't do it just because I didn't have a, a chance to do it. There was no places that you know that were around my neighborhood that actually had fourteen floors. But uh, what I did was I went into my own apartment complex that, at the time, and I, I used to basically go out venture out there like at three a.m. in the morning, just to be in the elevator and just press some random button just to see in terms of what the feeling was like, so I can try to capture it, you know, uh, in the film. But no, I didn't. I didn't really play it. I don't think I actually had the cojones to even do it. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's fake. You know, I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure it's just a creepy pasta thing. But you know, there may be some truth to it. Who knows? Right? But it's the funny thing is, if you go to YouTube and you type in elevator challenge, there have been a lot of people, like actual real life vloggers, that did that. You know, you know either for fun or they, you know, docked up their images and whatnot as well. But I thought it was pretty interesting. But no, I did not do it myself. <laughs> so let's talk about vloggers for a minute, because that's really what the story is kind of based around is this vlogger. Now, when you and I talked the first time, I told you the only real critique that I read about the movie was that um, your main actor was very over the top. But as I watched the film and then I watched um, some additional characters at the end of the film, it almost felt to me as if that's the point that you were trying to get across with these characters was, yes, they're over the top. They're annoying. Uh, you have to be a special kind of person to want to watch these people all the time. Um, is Was that the right uh, feeling that I absolutely. got from it? Okay. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, um, so I did read those criticisms as well. And, you know, and, and, and believe it or not, me and the production team, we were we were a little bit surprised, you know, that when we uh, got those criticism because originally when we had released it, you know, some of the best comments we got or reviews we got had to do with Matthew's performance, right? Mm -hmm. uh, of how how closely he resembles an actual real life vloggers. So you know, Absolutely. so we were so so we were a little bit flabbergasted, or we were a little bit you know taken aback by the fact that you know there's a lot of online hate about. His character being, you know, obnoxious and it's just the unconsolable is that it's, you know, he's just unwatchable, so to speak, by a lot of people. And then what we realized is that, yes, for a certain segment of people, especially if you have never seen an actual real life blogger before, you will probably think, hey, these guys are probably just they acting over the top and blah, blah, blah. But in reality, no, is that real life bloggers, they do that. It's not necessarily the real, you know, real life personality, but this, that's the shtick. That that is the spiel in order to draw an audience. So when we conceptualized the character of Drop the Mic, we wanted him to be a, for lack of better words, a lovable jerk. It's like a a you know we know that he's a jerk. He knows that he's a prick, but on the same token, is that he intentionally did that. He intentionally went over the top just because that is exactly how real life bloggers are. Right. So if you were to just, you know, like if for anyone who just who watched the movie, like, oh, my God, these guys are just way over the top. All I ask you is like, take a pause, go on YouTube, type in, you know, there are at least a few dozen popular YouTubers. Yeah, let's not put out their names. Yeah. Exactly. Because they're awful. <laughs> and, and then you'll see what I'm talking yeah. about. It's the same sort of stick, the same sort of spiel, very obnoxious, very disrespectful in a sense. But that's how they got their following is because – People who liked it, yeah, they liked it. And people who don't like it and find it uh, annoying, they still, for some reason, could not stop watching because of their, I guess, the entertainment value that they bring, right? So I think that that, that just hold that's just uh, part of the spiel is make them as authentic as possible to the actual real life blockers. So let me ask you on that because it was very authentic. He he. He, I think that he hit the mark on that, exactly what he was supposed to do. So do those people that might like horror movies, might like found footage films, and would absolutely love your film, but they can't deal with that kind of actor. How do we get around that? Or how do, we, how do they approach that film 
so that they can still enjoy it to the fullest that it can be? Um, well, for, you know, and, and what I would, would say to that is, well, first of all, is literally spend five minutes and look at a real life right. blogger. You know, just, right. just, just, you know, just, just look at the real live logger, just watch one or two, two of their vlogs so that at least you would know that, okay, these people exist in real life. These, these people are, you know, they have a massed following, Absolutely. right? And, and, and there's a reason and their videos are ridiculous. They are disrespectful, like literally disrespectful. One guy even filmed, you know, a suicide victim, right? It's like, it, it's so yeah. tasteless. Right, it's tasteless, but people nowadays, you know, just the whole YouTube generation is just whatever that generates content, whatever generates viewers' interest. So, you know, for those who are taken aback by it, that what I would say is that okay, before you know, if you don't know what vlogging is and you don't, you know, you don't have the slightest concept of it, just try to spend one or two minutes even, just look at one or two real life vlogs. That's it, and then when you you go back into watch a movie, you say, okay, well, you know, it's all about the suspense of uh, of disbelief that okay, these guys could exist, so they're not really acting, right? So if they were to just watch these uh, real life vlogs, I think that they can actually get over it. That's one, and two is uh, a lot of people that I a lot of feedback that I got as well is like the first time when people see it, they might have hated that they couldn't really stand the character, but after they've seen it the first time, they know what to expect. They rewatch it again; it's completely flipped. They're like, "Oh, I actually love this movie because now that they understand, they get over the right. hurdle that this is who the character is, right? And that they know his journey and everything else. Then they, you know, I think they would enjoy it a lot more. And another thing that I would also think is uh, say is that uh, uh, for people who don't know the backstory behind, I guess, Alisa Lam and Ocho Cecil, do a quick Google." read about it it makes the movie even that much you know better absolutely a full history behind it and a lot of the times like in the movie we intentionally left those details out you know just so that it could be you know because if you look at any real life vlogs or real life documentary the you know the information you get was is only something that the filmmakers allow you to see but there's always a lot more to it if you dig deeper and that was like the concept that, that we went. Oh, a fun fact is that we, you know, for the for the character drop the mic, in our original cut, a two-hour cut, we had more footage of him, of the interaction between the, the crew and all that, that actually changed the dynamic. So in the film, you could see that Mike dropped the character, but dropped the mic. He's always on, right? Like he's always that's his persona. In the actual uh, in an alternate cut of it is that you could see that he actually would drop that act, you know, when the camera shuts off or, you know, like when he's actually like, okay, guys, the show is, you know, boom, we're done with the episode. You know, let's get back to my normal route, right? So we, so in the quote-unquote director's cut, we have that to humanize it. And maybe I'll release that cut later on as well. But, you know, but for this particular cut, it's more like, hey, this is the character of Drop the Mic. This is his persona, you know, like it, you know, love it or hate it, that is a persona and that is the authenticity of an actual real life blogger. Yeah, I don't think I want him humanized. <laughs> I, I think that uh, we just need to keep him in, in his rare form that he's in. So I want to go back real quick when you were saying, you know, doing your research on stuff. Um, did you ever, going back real quick to the baby? Did you ever do any research on that hotel and see if anything kind of popped up for that or if there was any story or ask anyone there? No, there are. Well, I didn't really do any research on, you know, after the baby thing. It's just like, I'm like, okay, well, the hotel's haunted. I've heard a lot, though, that the hotel, there's multiple hauntings that within the hotel. Like, you know, there's people that, you know, shadow figures in the basement that people that stay in that hotel or the people that live there and work there told me that, hey, the hotel's haunted. But I don't know any particular one or two true story <laughs> that happened right. there. No, that's so, anticlimactic. So. <laughs> so this was your first feature film. Uh, what yes. did you learn from the beginning to the end, and what would you do different in another film? Um, so this is my first feature film. So obviously, pacing is something that I learned tremendously. Is because obviously when you read the script and you have the movie in your head. 
that's one thing. But when you cut it, when you edit it, and again, it's like it had to belong to a certain genre. So, for example, the first cut that we did is like a two hour, two hours and twenty minutes, because the script was wow. one hundred and forty four pages long, right? So it's a lot of dialogue. So, so with the first cut that we did, a two hour and twenty minutes, it felt more like a coming of age drama with horror element instead okay. of a horror. Element. Right, it's because of the fact that it's all the interactions, and it is a very interesting take on. So I think some people might really like it over others because of the fact that it was uh, uh, just different. It wasn't a horror film. But then you know, then I for the second cut when I did it for an hour and thirty minutes is when I basically needed to nail down the pacing of what a horror film is supposed to do. Like here's a certain beats you gotta take, right? So that's something that I learned tremendously. You know, uh, given the fact that I'm not a, I was not a horror filmmaker in the first place. So, so doing that is, is I learned a lot more about pacing, how to do all of that, um, and also the scares as well. Is that now, this four years afterwards, I've been watching a whole lot more horror films. Because believe it or not, but prior to that, I didn't watch a, I wasn't a, a a big horror film watcher in a sense. Like I, I did watch you know, some classics, right? But I never was. That huge of a horror fan, I right. am now. So you know, so so basically now it's like I really there are a lot of things that I would have done differently, right? I would have done totally differently, you know. So um, case in point, the camera glitch. When we did it, I didn't know that it was an overused trope in the found footage genre. I did not know that because I only saw maybe six found footage movies ever <laughs> prior to making my film. So therefore, I didn't know that it was a trope. Now that I know, if I if I had a chance to go back, I totally would have minimized that or so, or done something different with it, right? And uh, a lot of the the shot that I wanted to make, I really didn't make into the final cut because we ran out of budget, we ran out of money to really be, do the shot. But long story short is that I did learn quite a bit on the whole pacing of the horror uh, of the horror genre and how to make the scares even more effective. And I cannot wait to really dive back into this horror world, although my next film may not be uh, a horror feature right off the bat, but I cannot wait to do it. Well, mentioning those camera glitches, um, you have had quite a few of almost the exact same camera glitches while we've been filming this uh, on yours, the little squares and stuff. So I think (laughs) you might've taken something back from the uh, hotel with you. I don't know. That is true. That that is true. Like yes, there are you know the footage that we got is is is, but well, believe it or not, that's actually was one of the inspirations as well, which is like in the raw footage. I'm like, hey, what what happened to those glitches? Why are there glitches? You know, we were filming in digital. There should be glitches, right? Right. So I'm like, okay, well maybe the you know maybe this is how goes spirits communicate with us is through the through the glitches. So that's why we we ended we ended up putting it in the movie, right? We ended up making. You know, a lot of the scare scenes glitchy, and it's funny is because yeah, people were watching it, and like, you know, that's another knock that 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 we usually get, which is like, hey, it's it's glitchy, just like the other horror film. I mean, uh, the other found footage films, but they don't know what they don't know is that uh, we actually got that as inspiration because it actually happened. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So uh, the things that I did learn quite a bit, and I think that is is my next. Uh, or future would be stronger now that I've actually kind of learned the rope quite a bit. So let's talk about that for a minute. You talk about other projects that your next one may not be a horror film, but there are, if I'm correct, there's plans for some sequels and plans for some things down the road. Correct. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So followed is, um, so when we created followed, we wanted to create a universe, like a franchise, like a universe of followed where, you know, these things happen. And we actually carved out an actual storyline, an actual, uh, um, you know, the reason behind all these haunting. And we actually have a pretty good trajectory of where it's going to go. So we can't wait to really do the sequel, even a TV show on it as well. Cause we actually have, I think three different projects planned that would take place within the same followed universe, right? As, as, as it may be by other bloggers, um, you know, it may be, it may not even be found footage. It may be just a traditional horror film. So uh, we have the general outline of the story, but we just don't have an actual, you know, beat by beat screenplay of it yet. And that's something that we're working on. But yes, I can't wait to really share it. And um, I may not come, you know, I may not return as a director for the follow franchise, but I will be shepherding 
and uh, I would be one of the main producers on the Apollo franchise. Right. Um, and who knows? You know, if the you know if one of the script becomes something that I think I can bring something different to the genre or something new and unique to the genre, I, I totally would jump back on the director's chair. Well, uh, you know, and you and I had talked about other countries and different um, maybe lores or legends that were going on in these other countries. Um, and I, I think that's a pretty cool way to do it. And and I think that's better done, like you said, in a TV show where it can be a weekly thing or, you know, eight episodes or like an American horror story. I think I think that's where we'll really flesh out that world with it culminating maybe into a movie at the end or anything like that. But I'm excited to see, because if you look around the internet, like you said, and just type in some stuff there, there's tons of stuff on YouTube where they'll tell you like the scariest stories from each country or the scariest legends from each country, or just look in the United States. They have, um, they have something on uh, that, that Quibi app now that it's each state Mm -hmm. has its own horror story. So they do all the states, uh, scary stories. So, It's uh it's pretty amazing. In Texas, we have a big one uh in Mineral Wells that is an old hospital that's haunted. And you can actually still mm. tour it. They're they're trying to re uh redo it like the inside. It, it it's had two fires. Um, it's been through like floods, uh, wow. vandals had hit it, everything like that. And they're redoing it, trying to clean it out. And the guy that owns it told these people hey, you can do ghost tours as long as you clean the building. As long as you get it back up and running and clean up all the trash and all where the fire was and everything, you wow. can use it. So it's an actual haunted house and a ghost tour. You can do them both. The ghost tour is in the bottom. Wow. They still have the sanatorium. They still have the um, the crematorium there. They have everything. And, and what's really cool about it is I've interviewed them on the show. Um, you go there and they kind of teach you the history of, of the hospital and stuff like that. And then they tell you, okay, go wherever you want. And they just let wow. you walk around and it's in the dark wow. and stuff like that. So it's really cool. It's a, it's, a very, awesome. it's a very cool place. So if you look around, there's a lot of these stories. And that's why I wanted to talk to you kind of before Halloween, because you've taken something that is a quote unquote, real life story, real life place put it into a movie. And I think with people looking into some of the past things that happened there, like you said, I think it makes it a lot more enjoyable movie uh, because you can kind of place it in that timeline of reality. So what I want to do is uh, show the, the trailer for it real quick. And um, we'll, we'll finish up, talk about a couple of the characters and then uh, we'll wrap it up for today. So let's go ahead and take a look at the trailer for the film. Hey guys, Mike here, sorry about the late post. I know some of you have been worried about me. I reached 50,000 subscribers, which I really, really appreciate you guys for. I'm not doing Hotel Linux, man. Dude, it's, 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 it's ooga booga nonsense. You know, there's no such thing as spirits and ghosts and blah, blah. You guys know about the elevator ritual, right? No, I do not know about the elevator ritual. Whoever cut that trailer did a nice job on cutting that trailer. Very. It's nice actually job. it's our. Thank you. It's actually our producer and editor, Matt Boomaker. <laughs> yeah, uh, it so, really. You really get the idea of the movie just from that trailer. Um, so. Thank you. What happened to, for the end of this, what happened to drop the mic? Do we know? Is he going to show back up? Is there going to be, what happened? That's a big, (laughs) um, so that, it is a big question mark. We actually get that a lot. Uh, We still leave his fate uh, undecided. As you already know, the very last shot of of, of the movie, you know, it basically brings you to the question of what have I, you know, what was I watching? Who was it that was uploading it? You know, was it, spirit or whatnot or whatnot right so there is a reason behind it so we do have a general idea of what actually happened to him and you know it actually ties up into the whole uh secret behind this universe you know the followed universe Good. that we have 
um, whether or not he would come back, that I'm not sure. We 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 are okay. not sure yet. Now, the one thing that I know is that the immediate sequel may not address, you know, the stories of Drop the Mic. It might it might make mention of it, but the sequel is that I want it to be a little bit more of a globe trotting uh, a globe uh, trotting pairs where we actually would have, you know maybe different hauntings from uh, different places in the world. Right. Uh, which is funny, like, you know, as you said, as you mentioned earlier, um, which I'm always looking for new, you know, new and scary stuff, uh, real life scary stuff. So if any of your viewers happen to know an area that is haunted or know a popular story, even have documents of videos or whatnot about that, feel free to email them to me. Or the sequel will probably have to do with some real life hauntings all over the world. And it might, address uh, what happened to drop the mic. But one thing that we want to make clear is that even whether we bring him back or not, uh, is that by the time that you, you're done with the series or you understand more of the story behind it, you should go back into the first one and watch the first movie again and say, oh, so now I know what happened. And you would actually know why it happened, it says, right? So we have an explanation. Yeah, we will reveal it. Uh, and after we reveal it, you would then know what actually happened to drop the mic or why he was what he was. Uh, but whether or not we will bring him into back into the fold, that's a big question mark. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. So, Antoine, what do you want to promote other than the film? You want to tell people where to get it. Of course, we'll put all the links on the uh, bio for the show. But is there anything that you want to promote other than the film right now? Um, well, you know, so, so uh, if anything, it's, you know, as I mentioned earlier, as before watching the film, um, it probably would enhance your experience okay. if you read a little bit more about Hotel Cecil or Elisa Lamb. And, you know, just check out one footage of an actual vlogger in real life. Right? Yeah. And, and, and that's about it, right? So, so that, that's you all. You need five minutes. That's me. it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that you can see in terms of how, how authentic he is. Um, <laughs> now, you know, other than that is that I'm working on my next project. Is, is we still under quarantine at the moment. Uh, but I am, you know, um, working on my next project right now. It is an action feature. Uh, oh. Very much like Kill Bill, um, you know. I can tell you that it's it's a it's a mixture between Kill Bill with uh, Lost in Translation meets Drive, sprinkle a little bit of spaghetti western on top. Wow, <laughs> that that's is a, my next feature. That's a lot of things. Yeah, and I can tell you the well, the general concept is um, is the uh, cartel enforcer versus the yakuza in Japan. It takes place in Japan. Oh, wow. That, that sounds pretty interesting. <laughs> I'm really excited to make that as well. So hopefully that's, that's, uh, hopefully we'll get on production of that soon. And when COVID is over. Yeah. So guys, we wanted to bring you a special Halloween one. We saw this film. We got with this guy. We, we thought this was very fitting for Halloween this year. The movie is followed. It's a found footage, but it's unlike any other found footage that you'll take a look at. It's shot completely different. The storyline is completely different. And it's really something that you need to check out. Of course, we'll put all the links to it in the show's bio. Uh, Antoine is saying that anybody that has a story, has video, has anything like that, I'll put the link that you can send it to him and maybe it will show up in the followed universe somewhere. Always remember, you can check us out at Twitter at Doublespeak DJ. You can check us out at Facebook at the DTD Podcast. And that is a group that you can join. And you can check us out on YouTube at the DTD Podcast. We thank you so much for stopping by, Antoine. This is a great film. Uh, you did an excellent job with it, and we're so Thank happy you. to talk about it on the show and get people out there to watch it. So that's going to be it for us this week, guys. Happy Halloween to everyone. Go check out this movie. It's a way to celebrate with quarantine going on. Make sure the oh, lights sorry. are Make turned sure off. The lights turned off, volumes all the way up. <laughs> there you go. Well. That, absolutely, and especially with this one to hear some stuff. So. Guys, that's Antoine. I'm DJ. This is the DTD Podcast. We'll catch you on the next Thank one. You. We'll see you guys. Bye.